Hey, this is Brent Ingersoll from King's Church. Thanks so much for tuning into our podcast. I pray that this message you're about to hear empowers you, encourages you, challenges you, and equips you to live the life that Jesus has for you. Thanks for tuning in. I was sitting in Miles and Jen's living room. They were newcomers in the church, so that what was my habit back in that day, you visited the church, you were gonna see me through the week in your home, pre-COVID days, of course. I just dropped by to thank them for visiting, and it was a pleasant visit until Miles excused himself, and uh, Jen began to relate a story of how her sister had grievously wronged her, and uh, she, she was angry. It had been years before, but this woman was almost shaking angry. Well, I listened until when it seemed appropriate for me to say something, I said, Jen, you need to forgive your sister. And then the atmosphere in the room really went south. And I'll not soon forget her passionate response. She looked at me, she said, I will never forgive her. Minutes later, I was in my car. A later visit, a couple of weeks later, I stopped by again. The visit was short, and it was cold. We never saw Miles and Jen at the church again, at least not during my tenure there. Did you know that there are a lot of Jens in and around the church today? The Barna group, you know them. They're the guys that do all the polls. And they had an article in Christianity Today in the summer of 2019, and they asked, hear this now, practicing Christians about this matter of reconciling with someone with whom you have a problem, tensions, whatever, about forgiveness, about restoring damaged relationships. And the Barna Group reported that 27% of practicing Christians know someone they don't want to forgive. 23% of practicing Christians know someone they can't forgive. That's one in four. And after almost 40 years of pastoral ministry, I wonder if that one in four isn't on the low side. Is it your problem? Is it mine? Late in February, I received this note from a friend in the ministry. That's a ministry colleague now. After we had a discussion about this subject, I had already been assigned to preach this message at West Campus. And so I was talking to him about this whole thing as I was stewing and preparing, studying. And he sent me this note. I was made aware during a recent fast that deep down I was harboring resentment, bitterness, and unforgiveness towards some colleagues. For a long time I told myself it was something else. I've done that too. I said it was just that we were different people and that we just had different approaches. But if I'm being honest, this was much more than that. My heart was hard. It was my sin of unforgiveness, my sin of bitterness and resentment I did not have the best interests, have their best interests in heart, at heart. I was waiting and hoping for them to mess up. 
I really didn't want them to succeed. I was not for them. I was not for what God intended for them. And then he wrote, it was the goodness of God to reveal this to me. To bring me to repentance. I wanted God's kingdom to advance, but I wanted it to advance the way I wanted. Not through the people that hurt me or rubbed me the wrong way. I had to do something about this, so I ate the whole humble pie and put myself out there to confess this to my trusted mentors. After prayer and repentance, I took the next step to confess to my brothers in Christ, to my brothers in Christ with whom he had the problem. I didn't go with a list of things they did or didn't do. I didn't go looking for anything from them. I went with my own sin to deal with, and today everything's changed. Today I'm able to cheer on and encourage these same colleagues. Wow. So as we move on in this message, would you pray this prayer with me? It's found in the scripture. Oh Lord, search my heart today to see if there is any wicked way in me. To see, Father, if there is any hidden resentment, some ill will in me. In Jesus' name I ask this, amen. So come with me now, these next moments together, to the book of Philemon. Pastor Bradford got us off to a great charge start last week on this and charging us to reconcile, talking about reconciling with the Father. And today I'm talking to you about reconciliation with one another. As he mentioned, it's a one-page letter sandwiched between Paul's little letter to Titus and the book of Hebrews. I don't know what you know about the book of Hebrews. It's the only book in the New Testament that we know for sure was written by a coffee drinker. He, Hebrews. No, okay. I was afraid that wouldn't work. This, this short letter written to Philemon by Paul the Apostle urging him to reconcile. That's what it's about. He's simply saying to him, uh, I want you, Philemon, to go make it right with Onesimus. Onesimus was a slave who Paul is urging Philemon to, set, to elevate him, to free him, and to elevate him to the status of a beloved brother. And now I'm going to read the whole book, okay? It's only 23 verses. Here it is. I always thank my God when I pray for you, Philemon, because I keep hearing about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all of God's people. And I am praying that you will put into action the generosity that comes from your faith as you understand and experience all the good things we have, we have in Christ. Your love has given me much joy and comfort, my brother, for your kindness has often refreshed the hearts of God's people. This is why I am boldly asking a favor of you. I could demand it in the name of Christ Jesus because it is the right thing to do. Hear that? It is the right thing to do. Paul is setting Philemon up for the big ask, and here it comes. But because of our love, I prefer simply to ask you, consider this as a request from me, 
Paul, an old man, and now also a prisoner for the sake of Christ Jesus. I appeal to you to show kindness to my child Onesimus. I became his father in the faith while here in prison. Onesimus hasn't been of much use to you in the past, but now he is very useful to both of us. I'm sending him back to you, and with him comes my own heart. I wanted to keep him here with me while I am in these chains for preaching the good news. And he would have helped me on your behalf. But I didn't want to do anything without your consent. I wanted you to help me because you were willing, not because you were forced. It seems you lost Onesimus for a little while so that you could have him back forever. He is no longer like a slave to you. He is more than a slave, for he is a beloved brother, especially to me. Now he will mean much more to you, both as a man and as a brother in the Lord. So if you consider me your partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. He is, if he's wronged you in any way or owes you anything, charge it to me. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it. And I won't mention that you owe me your very soul. Yes, my brother, please do, this, do me this favor for the Lord's sake. Give me this encouragement in Christ. I am confident as I write this letter that you will do what I ask and even more. Now for these next moments, let's look at some truths about this whole matter of reconciliation. Truths found in this short letter to Philemon and some additional truths from 12 other places in the New Testament. Actually, I'm going to take you briefly to seven places in the book of Matthew, one place in the book of Luke, and then in Paul's letters to the churches at Corinth, Philippi, and Thessalonica, and dip briefly into the John the Apostle's letter. So here we are now, six truths about reconciliation, six things you need to know to go make it right, Six of them. Here's number one. You need to know this. It's commanded. It's commanded. Now, we just read from Paul's letter to Philemon where Paul says in verse 8, I'm boldly asking a favor of you. I could demand it in the name of Christ because it is the right thing to do. You see what's happening here? Paul is asking as a favor because Paul and Philemon are tight they're close friends, so he's asking as a courtesy. Other places in the Bible where this is taught, where we're told to go make it right, it's not a request, it's a command. You know what I mean when I say command, like the big ten. Do not steal, do not kill, do not commit adultery, do not lie. It's an order. It's not a suggestion. It's not, this is not some sage advice to help you live a happier life. It's a command. We're simply told, do it. In, book, in the book of Matthew, chapter 5, when you suddenly remember that someone has something against you, go, be reconciled to that person. It's an order. Later in Matthew 5, Offer the other cheek when someone lashes out against you. It's a clear command. Love your enemies, later in Matthew. Later still in Matthew, do to others whatever you would like them to do to you. It's clearly a command. When you 
go out today, those of you online, if you leave your home today, you won't drive far before you come to a stop sign. That's what it says, simply stop. It's an order. You're not given an option. It's a command. Now, it's a command you can disobey at your own risk, but it's a command. Most of us, we all understand that. The stop sign doesn't mean stop or not. It's, it's, it's your choice. Might be in your best interest, but whatever, however you handle this will be fine. No, it's, it's a command, stop. I had a friend in the motor vehicle branch of the province of New Brunswick, and, and uh, it used to be when someone lost a sufficient number of points, they'd bring you in for a little lecture. I sat in one of those. But, but this fellow, this fellow was brought in for... Uh, not yielding at a yield sign. And so the interviewer said to him, do you understand what yield means? Oh, he says, yes, I do. It means stop if you want to and don't stop if you don't. No, that's not what yield means. Yield means it's, it's a command, it's an order. And so is this one, be reconciled. The Father in his wisdom commands us to be reconciled to one another. Now, sometimes we hear this command and we think about it. We think about someone with whom we should make it right and we sort of slip into the denial thing. We think, well, it's, it's not really a problem or if it is a problem, it's not my problem, it's their problem. And, and then other times, rather than deny, we just do the delay thing. We think, well, I'm working on it, but we're not. Most of the time, when we sense there's someone with whom we need to reconcile and we do the deny or delay thing, it's plain and simple disobedience. Be reconciled is a command. That's number one. Here's number two. When you go make it right, remember this. It's an action. It's an, it's an action. And I take you now way over near the end of the New Testament to John, not the gospel, but his letter, 1 John 3.11 says, says, we should love one another. And then you go to verse 18, it says, let's not merely say that we love each other. Let's show the truth by our actions. So, so this matter of reconciling is something that we do. It's an action. Paul said to Philemon, put into action what it is I'm telling you. Sometimes we're inclined to think that this, that this reconciliation, restoration, forgiveness thing only amounts to an attitude adjustment on our part. You ever done that? We think, oh, I think I've dealt with it in, in my heart and, and, and I'm going to let it go now and forgive it. No, no. The scripture makes it clear that it's an action. It's something that you do. It's not just some inner resolve. It's your your tongue getting involved. And And it involves your feet moving. I'm going to go see that person. And often it involves your arms. If it ends well, it could well end in a hug. You remember the story of the night Jesus was betrayed? and hauled off to trial, and Peter followed along at a distance, and, but he was spotted and recognized. You know the story? Someone said to Peter, pointed the finger and said, Peter, hey you, you're one of them. You're one of those Jesus people, and said, I am not, don't even know him, three times. 
Three times Peter did that. You remember Jesus' response to what Peter did? Peter didn't just forgive him in his heart. Jesus didn't just do that. Probably he no doubt forgave him in his heart, but he pursued him. Jesus got his feet moving and he went all the way back. He went all the way back, followed Peter miles back to Lake Galilee where Peter had given up fishing for men and gone back to fishing for fish. And Jesus chased Peter down and made it right. He reconciled with Peter. They talked it through beside the lake on that day over a fish dinner. So you see it? This, this matter of going and making it right, it, it's, it's, an, it's an action. Here's the third truth I want you to notice now. It's a must. It's a must. And by that I mean there is no option. You must do this. If you don't do this, if you don't do this, it will, it will destroy you if you don't. You'll never have peace. Martin Luther King Jr., and of course when he said this, he was speaking of racial recognition, uh, reconciliation, but it certainly applies here. He said, we must learn to live together as brothers or perish together as fools. About halfway through the Lord's Prayer, we come to this phrase, you know it well. And forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And, and in case, just in case that we didn't really catch Jesus' drift there, he goes on two verses later and says this, if you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. And unless you didn't grasp that totally, he keeps on going in verse 15 and says, but if you refuse to forgive others, your father will not forgive your sins. This reconciliation thing, it, it's a must. My, that's plain truth, isn't it? Sometimes we complain that, well, I read the Bible, don't understand it. It was the great preacher, R.A. Torrey, that said 99% of the truth in the Bible lies right on the surface. And it certainly is the case here. Plain and simple, right on the surface. Reconciliation is a must. Paul to Philemon, verse 8. It's the right thing to do, Philemon. The right thing, it, it's right. It's certainly, we've just, from the scripture we just read, this making it right with people, it's the right thing. It's the right thing for your relationship with the Father. That's clear. Disciple John writes again, if someone says, I love God, but hates a fellow believer, that person is a liar. Well, that truth is even plainer. For if we don't love people we can see, how can we love God whom we cannot see? And then he presses home and says, and he has given us this command, those who love God must also love their fellow believers. You see it? Reconciliation, this matter of making it right with people, is a must. It's right for your relationship with the Father. It's right for your relationship with the person with whom the offense took place. And it's right for yourself, your spiritual self, your inner peace. It's a must. So when you go to make it right, here's a fourth truth I want to share with you this morning. You need to know this. It's hard. It is. It's hard. Author Henry Nguyen reminds us that, and he says, forgiveness from the heart is difficult. It's a difficult thing. 
Why so hard, you might ask, Pastor Tom? Why, why is it so difficult for us to do this? Well, sometimes, a couple of reasons, sometimes the offense is severe. The offense is severe. Speaking of a severe offense, Jesus on the cross, looking down at his executioners and prays, Father, forgive them, because they don't know what they're doing to reconcile, it can be incredibly hard. 16 years ago, Charlie Roberts barricaded himself inside a one-room Amish schoolhouse near Lancaster, Pennsylvania. And then he opened fire and he killed five children and injured five others and then shot and killed himself. Days later, Charles' distraught parents were having a private funeral service at the gravesite when suddenly the parents of the massacred children showed up and formed a crescent around Charles Roberts' parents. Said Charles' mother, love just emanated from them. To forgive, to, to reconcile, it's hard because sometimes the offense is severe. And then other times it's ongoing. Didn't happen just once. It keeps happening and I'm to forgive, to reconcile. Disciple Peter thought he was being so generous, so benevolent, so magnanimous when he said this to Jesus. Hey Jesus, how often should I forgive someone who sins against me? How does seven times sound, Jesus? Jesus, you remember Jesus' response? No, Peter. Not seven times, but 70 times seven. And that doesn't mean 490. It means there's no limit. There's no limit. This reconciliation forgiveness business is hard sometimes. Sometimes. We're inclined to think that this forgiveness reconciliation thing is a beautiful idea until we have to practice it ourselves. And then we discover it's hard. And I know I'm speaking, I'm speaking to some here who have suffered betrayal by an ex. Someone here who has suffered abuse by someone you trusted. I'm speaking to someone who has been cheated from what was rightfully yours. As kids, as kids, when someone didn't play fair, we were on the ball field. We all thought he was out, but he said he was safe. And we would say, cheaters never prosper. But listen to me, they do. They do prosper, and we are to forgive According to the book, we are to forgive and we are to reconcile with someone, hear me now, who will never repent. They're never, ever, ever going to say, I'm sorry. And yet the word for us is, you forgive them, you reconcile. And I'm saying to you, it's hard. And that leads me to number five. When you go to make it right, you need to understand this. And this makes it even harder. Listen to this one. When you go to make it right, you need to know this. Making it right is the responsibility of the one who has been offended. There have been times in my life I thought, well, if they come see me, 
and they say they're sorry, I'll forgive them. This turns it totally on its heel. It's the responsibility of the one who has been offended. We read moments ago, you remember that someone has something against you? Then go be reconciled to that person. You are the person who has been offended, and yet the word tells us, you take the initiative. You take the first step. You go to them. You do the reconciling. You do the forgiving. Paul, in writing this short letter to Philemon, urges him. Remember now, Philemon was the one offended, and yet Paul is urging him to go reconcile with Onesimus, reminding him, and what argument does Paul use to convince him to do this? He reminds him that he, that he, Philemon, has experienced reconciliation with God and he was, when he was the offender. Verse 6, I read again. I am praying that you will put into action the generosity that comes from your faith as you understand and experience all the good things that we have in Christ. What good things is Paul talking about when he writes that to Philemon? Well, he's saying to Philemon, God took the first step to reconcile with you, Philemon, and Philemon gets it. He realizes that he, Philemon realizes that he and Onesimus are both sinners, and God took the first step towards all of us. Pastor Brents often makes reference to his favorite author, C.S. Lewis. Did you know that he's even named his dog Lewis? I'm not sure I'd be flattered if someone named their dog after me, but anyway. But C.S. Lewis says it so well. Here his words. Lewis says, to be Christian means to forgive the inexcusable because God has excused the inexcusable in you. <laughs> when we think about it, we should be overawed at the thought that God took the first step towards totally unworthy, sinful you and me. <laughs> Bishop Desmond Tutu's words, he said, wrote, he chose, speaking of God, he chose to see through the dirt and grime to the divine original which is hidden in every one of us. What a God. Think about it. After what God has done for me, how can, how can I not be willing to initiate reconciliation with someone who has wronged me? How can I not? And here's the last. Here's the six of these truths about when you go make it right. You need to realize this. You need to know this. It's possible. Yes, it is. Paul, writing to the church at Thessalonica, writes... What subject is he on? Well, you guessed it, reconciliation again. Why does it so appear so often in the scripture, do you think? Isn't the reason obvious? Because it's such a problem. And he writes and says, live peacefully with each other. A few verses later, he says, so that no one pays back evil for evil, but always try to do good to each other and to all people. He's saying, be reconciled to each other. But Paul and this one tells us how. Verses later, he says, here it is. You ready? God will make this happen. You don't do it. God does it through you. 
God will make this happen for he who is, who calls us is faithful. You say, I can't do it. I say, I respond to you, you're right, you can. He says, I'll make this happen. You supply the willingness. That's God's message to us. If you'll supply the willingness, I'll do it through you. I think some of us maybe need to pray. I know in times past I've had to pray this prayer. Lord, I'm not willing, but I'm willing for you to make me willing. You know the story of Corey Ten Boom? Maybe many of you in the room do. The Ten Boom was a Dutch family. And they were arrested for hiding Jews from the Nazis during the Second World War way back in the 1940s. And Corey watched in horror as the Nazi jailers brutalized her sister. Betsy in the process, the sister was Betsy. This happened in the processing center at Ravensbrück concentration camp. Many years later, after the war ended, one of the jailers approached Corey after she had just finished delivering a message in a church in Munich. And here's what Corey wrote. He was the first of our jailers that I had seen since that time. And suddenly he was there. The room full of it was all there, she said. The room full of mocking men, the heaps of clothing, Betsy's pain face, and the, this jailer's hand was thrust out to shake mine. And she said, I, who had preached so often the need to forgive, I kept my hand at my side. Even as angry, vengeful thoughts boiled through me, she said, I saw the sin in them. Jesus Christ had died for this man and I was going to ask for more. She said, and I prayed, Lord Jesus, forgive me and help me to forgive him. I tried to smile. I struggled to raise my hand and I couldn't. I felt nothing, not the slightest spark of warmth or charity. So again, she said, I breathed a silent prayer. Jesus, I cannot forgive him. Give me your forgiveness. And then she writes, as I took his hand, the most incredible thing happened. From my shoulder, along my arm, and through my hand, a current seemed to pass from me to him, while into my heart sprang a love for this man that almost overwhelmed me. You see it? He will do it. And what do you think? What do you think happened to our slave Onesimus? I think we can assume, because the letter is included in the scripture, I think we can assume that Philemon freed the slave Onesimus and that Philemon exalted Onesimus to the status of a beloved brother and Philemon returned Onesimus to Paul in Rome where he matured into a great man of God. And tradition tells us this, hear this. 50 years later, when the Christian martyr Ignatius was being transported from Antioch to Rome to be executed, he wrote letters to a number of churches. In writing to Ephesus, he praised a certain bishop named Onesimus who had visited him. 
it appears that Onesimus, the runaway slave, had ultimately become the great bishop of Ephesus. Reconciliation, restoration, forgiveness has the power to set free and restore lives such as this one. How this world needs this kind of reconciliation. In the Kremlin, in the Ukraine, in, in our social media platforms, in our schools and offices, in every workplace, in our families. Such a great need. Go make it right. I'm going to pray a prayer as we close. Pastor Andy's going to join me here in the platform in just a minute. But as, as we uh, bow our heads and close our eyes, even those of you watching out there, would you do this too? Would you close your eyes? And as I pray, I believe there, there are going to be some of us today for whom the Father is going to bring a face or two and maybe more before our mind's eye reminding us that things are not as they should be with this person and we need to go make it right. So as I pray, open your heart and mind and allow the Father to show you a face or two. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for this truth. Yes, it's a hard truth. Father, such a vital and necessary truth. Father, we hear the truth. May it be more than just truth we hear. May it be more than just truth we agree that it is true. May it be more than truth we hear and agree that it is true and think that it should be applied. Let us go even further and say, Father, search me and know me and see if there is any wicked way in me. If there are those with whom I need this day, make a call, make a visit, send an email, send a text, suggest a contact, reach out to. Show me, Father, show me, show us, and we will be obedient. This we pray in Jesus' strong name. God's people said,